And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is the Athletics Manchester City podcast. Why always us? I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Hello. How are you? Uh, yeah, fine. Um, it's it's a bit mad, isn't it? When City lose, it's it's mental. Like um, I know we've got we've got straight into this, but bloody hell, like it just I mean, Twitter is is not great. Never in, rains, but it pours, and especially, in any aspect. Yeah. But wow, like the reaction to the weekend has been. Absolutely mad. Well, uh, let's get into it. If you sign up to The Athletic right now, you can read all of Sam's stuff on City, including everything from the weekend. And if you sign up now, you'll get 33% off the price of a full subscription. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Um, so, Sam, um, Crystal yeah. Palace. Uh, start of the month, City were looking pretty good. They were dealing with uh, Liverpool and PSG's attempts to put them under pressure, and I thought quite well as well. Um, Chelsea as well, but Chelsea didn't really show any ambition to put City under pressure in the same way, if you know what I mean. Um, but we go back to that Southampton game and now that Palace game that that have happened. And, and I, I think both Southampton and Palace pressed City in a way that PSG and Liverpool didn't really try and do. It was it was effectively stopping the passes from the centre-backs. So Laporte and Diaz didn't have that option to get into Rodri. Um, and it, I mean, it can't just be that, can it? That that mean that means City fall apart in these games. Is, is it simply that that pass isn't on, and so City go looking for something else, and it doesn't quite work? Yeah, like Pep said the other day when he was talking about the different reasons for the not either not creating chances or not scoring chances. He was saying he goes, you know, we're a team where you know in our build-up everything has to be perfect, and and you wonder like, does that tie into what we've said before about how you just know when these defeats are coming and you, you, you can spot it a mile off and it's because the players they're doing what they're supposed to be doing but I don't know either it's not at the right you know they've been thrown off their rhythm to such an extent maybe the runs not being made at the right time or maybe the run is being made at the right time but the balls arriving a bit too late to the person who's supposed to give it to them or whatever and the players keep doing what they're supposed to do but because of what, either what the opposition are doing or because of I don't know, City are having an off day or a combination of the two. It just doesn't click and it's like a like a computer program that's like stuck on loop or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. or they're doing what they're supposed to, but it just doesn't work. And you know it's not gonna work. And the later the ga- game gets, the least likely they are to score. And we end up doing the podcast and saying the same stuff. And yeah. Yeah, it, it it's it's probably something it, it it will be something to do with that. In how well there, there's two parts of it. Because on the one hand you've got the opposition disrupting City and, you know, if everything's not quite perfect, then people aren't arriving into space at the right time. They're not getting the ball at the right time. The options are cut off. And if they have to hesitate, then they can't play that pass that they know is normally on because all of a sudden it's not. And then everything's just out of the rhythm a bit. But then that throws them out of the rhythm to such an extent that even when they're not under pressure, 
and they've got like an easy pass on. Like, a couple of times at the weekend, it felt like four or five. It, it was probably only once or twice. But a couple of times, City just kicked it out of play, didn't they? Yeah. Like under no pressure. And you just think, okay, they've been properly thrown off their rhythm here. And that was the thing with Southampton. Even when Southampton weren't directly in their faces and forcing a mistake, they just made a mistake anyway. Um, and I wouldn't, I do wonder why that happens. It, it, must, it must just be because maybe the, the passes they would normally make or even the passes that they think they would be able to make because obviously the opposition post City problems all the time and City just go, okay, well, we're going to do this instead. But I guess there, there are teams now that are finding ways to just break that rhythm dif- off. Yeah. different problems altogether and just make City do something else. But when it's all so planned, um, it's a lot more down to improvisation then. But I think, God, this is going into a different point completely, but I was doing a general podcast last night Someone was messaging me on Twitter about about it and stuff, but like Sancho hasn't settled in well at United, partly because it's a new league, but I think partly because you know in United's team there's there is no structure, is there? So it's not like okay, well we'll get you the ball here, and then the right back will be here, so you've got and he'll be taking someone away, or the number eight is here, so you've got either this support or you'll be free, or we'll switch the ball to you and you'll have 10 to 15 yards because the left-back will be tucked in. So you can then get the left-back one-on-one. You know, there's there's not much of that going on at United, is there? So yeah. basically, when Sancho's got the ball, it's just, well, you're good at dribbling, crack on. Which is, I mean, not too many players in the world can actually do that. And even the ones that can, they're infinitely better with a proper structure to help. Um, so that's kind of been his problem, and it's, you know, problems that... It's a bit similar to why people are saying Harry Kane shit at the moment. It's like, well, he's, not, he's, not, he's barely getting the ball. Spurs aren't creating chances, so what do you want him to do? It's like the, these teams aren't playing to their strengths. And it's almost like when City's game plan breaks down, and I'm sure we'll come on to Grealish, like, and Sterling in the past, especially in 2019-20 when City had these games quite often, and even, even when they didn't have these games, they were still playing against back fives. It was like, well, if the rhythm's not quite there, we're not creating chances to get you into space in behind then you're just going to have to get the ball and you're going to have to dribble against two or three players yeah. and I think that's I think that's largely what it is and then also like sometimes when Cancelo and De Bruyne cross it's fantastic and like Foden's cross for the for the offside goal was perfect because it was kind of like a transition and Palace were kind of backpedaling and he looped that perfect ball and there was space to play the ball into and I mean it was still narrow you know it wasn't it wasn't like there was loads of space for City to work in, but it was perfectly delivered. But so many times, like Cancelo or De Bruyne would obviously cut back inside and put the ball in with either Cancelo's right foot or De Bruyne's left at times. But like Palace are in the box and they'll just head it away. And it doesn't have to be Palace, it could be anyone. You know, it could be Southampton. I'm going back to Norwich away a few years ago in 2019 20. Um, just loads of games from that season and even loads of games since when things haven't gone right. If you're thinking at the start of last season, it's just everyone's back in their positions already. So City have got the ball and they've got great players, but just no room no, to work in. Yeah. There's no real dynamism there because there's no room to work in. If there was a chance, it's already gone in terms of creating that space and getting into it. And so you've got an, a situation where Cancelo, when he cuts inside, if he can slip in um, one of those little reverse through balls he does, great. But when everyone's back in the box and you're defending, sorry, you're attacking against like 10 defenders, basically. It ain't happening. And, yeah. and he's cut back because this is how it works. Grealish has got the ball. He does attract players in. And then Cancelo is invariably free. So he knocks it back to Cancelo on the edge of the box, on the corner of that left-hand box. 
He's always going to cut in, apart from once on Saturday, where he crossed it with the outside of his right foot, which was seemed harder to do than just use his left, but it was probably <laughs> one of his better ones. Um, but yeah, he's on the box, so corner of the box, so he just puts the ball in, stands it up towards the far post, but who's attacking it? Like your only hope is that it, it obviously it floats over the left back's head or the left centre back's head, and Jesus arrives, which is what Foden did. But when they're setting their positions, it's so much harder to do that. And yeah, that that that's kind of it. So all those players are in the positions that they're supposed to be in. They're still getting on the ball, but there's no opportunity there to create any space really. And like somebody messaged me yesterday saying, you know, when the pass isn't working, it'd be nice to see City working. Um, shots from outside the box but I think by the same token there's get, so many people I, on the outside of the box yeah, there's, there's, I, no, there's no space for that I get too frustrated with uh, the, the fans in the stadium do this as well whenever uh, whenever the ball drops to the edge of the box it's oh, always shoot. shoot 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 but the problem is yeah. is that you can't like you can't just shoot there, if there's four or five players in front of you you need, a, you need a little bit of space to get it through if you just shoot it'll hit so there's yeah. there's that that shot from the edge of the box is so rarely actually how, on how for City. Often, yeah. How often do you see that? I mean, not not, not in every case because obviously there is like at least it's on their strong foot. But I can't remember what game I was watching the other day. Um, but somebody was shouting shoot. Obviously it wasn't City, and I was like, how are you expecting him to hit this? And I was thinking the only way he could actually hit this is if it's one of those where you kind of you stand you stand it up like bolt upright and you hit your right foot across it. So your right foot's heading towards the corner flag, and you're hitting it with your and you bend put it, it yeah. down, and yeah, and you bend it, and I was like, "But, but nobody's going to try that shot." It's like, how many times in football stadiums does it say shoot, and it's just not even, it's just not even workable. But my point would be, as much as you know, going to be blocked, how many times say you shoot from outside the box quite often, and quite often it's absolutely shit, isn't it? <laughs> like Cancelo did. Cancelo probably does one a game, to be fair, and it's like miles over. Laporte has has done them quite often, um, and again, that that kind of. It, it it kind of ties in a bit to the article I wrote over the weekend in terms of how City are using the ball now and you know um, fullbacks having more touches and more touches per game in, in the last couple of seasons. But it's obviously because City's attacking midfielders and forwards are kind of spread out across the front line, especially when you're playing deep, compact defences. So then the people who are on the ball are the fullbacks and the defenders, which is fine in terms of build up and finding options. But I mean, when it comes to yeah taking shots from the edge of the box, is often them or Rodri, and obviously Rodri can hit them. Yeah, but um, there's either no space, or it just it just feels like a waste because when build City build up those attacks, and okay, like they might not have the right rhythm, like we've just discussed. But if they're kicking into the crowd, it's just like okay, reset, and then obviously if you've got a goalkeeper who's going to waste time, it's it's just such a waste of time. Yeah, um, I want to just before we get on to Grealish because I um, I know everybody's itching to to hear us talk about Grealish for a bit. But um, Gundogan would I, I surprised me that he didn't come on uh, at weekend, but I guess the red card probably changed the the options that um, that, that Guardiola had at half time. Um, I know I know it's the dreaded words from last season double pivot, but does that help when City don't have that pass into the defending midfielder? Would a second player in the middle there help? Yeah, well, they do that fairly, fairly often, and I think the thing with the Gundogan double pivot—not not to blame Gundogan—I've I've always said that—but um, when it was that double pivot from 2019-20 in the start of last season, it was just because it was basically a permanent fixture. Like Gundogan would still get forward, but I remember, you know, he wasn't always forward enough to create a problem, and obviously, he wasn't making the runs into the box like he's done since they changed the tactics in in December. It was just. Inverted wingers, double pivot, and all of that, but it, it all added up to basically you had two men shielding the defence, which didn't always work anyway. You had the inverted wingers coming inside and making it congested, 
who had Cancelo coming inside, who was doing his best, but making it congested because he was generally playing left back. And De Bruyne as a number 10, basically having to create everything. And, you know, Mares and Cancelo were also doing quite well. But there was just too few threats. And that was the problem. But I think, yeah, since then, and, and even before, if you think about how often Bernardo Silva drops in to help out, and obviously when City went down to 10 men, the shape in the second half was basically the three at the back. And then Bernardo was very deep with Rodri to help him get the ball out from the back. But then it was just everyone else kind of on the forward line and Foden would drop into that number 10 sh- slot and he, he got that he got the ball there quite often. But often it was quite long balls forward to to them, to those forwards. Um, so yeah, in, in those situations, another deep line midfielder would help to get the ball out from the back. And that is something that City do quite often. Um, it wouldn't, it need not necessarily have been a permanent thing. Um, and yeah, maybe bringing on Gundogan because yeah so I mean we've kind of skipped a, f- a few steps ahead because the first half it seemed like one of those where well they're not scoring here but when they put the board up for two minutes added on you start thinking about the second half don't you? either you've you've gone for a for a beer or gone to the toilet or you, you're thinking about the game or whatever but you think well that wasn't great but obviously refresh after half time and still in the game and you'd still back City to score if, even though we say as the game goes on you, you kind of resign yourself to the fact that they're not going to you do think at half time, okay, it's fine. And you think maybe these changes could happen. And yeah, maybe Gundogan coming on instead of De Bruyne or whatever, which to be honest, Guardiola is never going to do at half time. But then obviously the red card just, it just absolutely fucked it. That, like that was it then. And I don't think people realize how difficult it is to play with 10 men when you're losing. Because I yeah. think in our brains, we accept that teams win with 10 men all the time. We've seen how many headlines have we seen 10 man so and so hold on for win or get win or whatever. But it's not actually when- the norm. Yeah. <laughs> But no, but yeah, but even when it is, I would say when it is the norm, teams are winning already, maybe or drawing possibly, and they sit back and it's every man behind the ball. And how many times have we seen it against City? And it's probably easy to process thinking this way from the the point of view of the team that dominates. When a team goes down to ten men against you, you sit back, or the other, the other team sits back, and you think, what? Well, it's it's no easier because they're sitting back even deeper now. They're even more compact. And there is the the fatigue element that will get into it. But that's why teams kind of battle. You know, that's why it's battling. Because the final 10, 15, 20 minutes, they're knackered because of the extra man. But And obviously, there's no outlet either. So the ball keeps coming back. But as long as you're blocking those spaces, you can hold out for the point. And that's why it's you know brave 10-man victory or whatever. Or even, you know, if it's, let's say, Burnley against Chelsea or... Norwich against Liverpool or whatever and they're holding on for a draw maybe that that's going to be hailed with 10 men but to have 10 men and be behind and still expect to dominate the game and create chances it's so rare like it, it very rarely happens and funnily yeah. enough Saturday morning I was speaking to a mate about um the City game against Burnley in Pep's first season. Do you know when Fernandinho got sent off and afterwards he was like so, so happy? Just like yeah. really that really weird mood. Because um, well, obviously it was Pep's 200th Premier League game. So if City had won, my article would have just been like a rundown of, you know, the best and the yeah, worst yeah. and the, the maddest and whatever, the most Pep and that kind of stuff. And I was like, I was messaging a few people. I was like, have you ever come away from the ground? I thought that was something else. And he mentioned this that Burnley game because he said when he went down to 10 men, they just carried on dominating and attacking. He was like, you don't see that. And that reminded me the first time I really saw it, even it would have happened, but maybe not, to be fair, maybe not to this extent, but the first time I really remember it was when Pep was buying manager and they went down to 10 men against City. 
And yeah. it was when Aguero scored the hat-trick. But Bayern absolutely dominated, didn't they? Until they got tired. And Aguero was just ruthless. Yeah, I was thinking Milner at uh, West Brom on Mancini's last season, which is a bit before your time covering City. He was sent off early on. West Brom yeah. took the lead on about 70 minutes and City came back with two late goals for Jacko. And that, but, it, wow. but, uh, but City didn't... I, don't, I, I remember that being quite an even game rather than City dominating that game. Yeah, well, and this is it. Like The only way that... You can do that, really, and certainly the only way you can do that with a Pep team is you've, you obviously you've, you've got to take up all of the right positions and use the ball intelligently. Which, like the long balls, wasn't the most intelligent use, but I don't think that's where the counterattacks came from. Um, but obviously, it should be said that one element of that is Palace had something to hold on to, so they didn't have to change too much. You know, they didn't have to think well, we've got one more man, we can dominate the game here. So I'm not saying City purely bossed it through sheer will alone, but very few teams would have been able to, to well, they, would have, they wouldn't have really had the balls to try it. Yeah. And, I'd, and also, I don't think they would have been able to do it so adeptly. But the problem you've got there is the counter-attack is always, always, always going to happen because the game's so open and you've got a man less. Like, that man advantage can't be minimised by you hanging back in your own box and just kicking the ball away. Maybe you haven't got an outlet, but, you know, at least you, you can keep the spaces compact and, you know, you're defending in that way. When you're attacking and you've got to defend as well by, you know, how City do it, keeping everyone tight together, um, short passes, advancing up the pitch, that's kind of out the window by then. So it sounds like you're making an excuse for City almost. And, well, the only reason I say this is what I said at the start about Twitter is it was a fucking bloodbath on Twitter. Like, not just at the end, but throughout, but particularly at the end. Um, and it was like, I mean, between half the team suddenly being shit, according to a lot of people, <laughs> it was just like doom and gloom. And look, it was a bad game. I wasn't saying it wasn't a bad game, but like, it feels like you're making an excuse when you're saying they had 10 men. But what, what do you want me to say? Like, yeah. they did have, they had 10 men for the well, second that's... half and they were losing and they still kept attacking. And like, look, if, if the Jesus goal had accounted, Maybe the you know, Palace still would have had counterattacks, but it would have been a different game because City still would have been. Oh, look, maybe they would have been more open, and maybe they would have still been. You know, Guardiola says impatient, which he said they were in the first half at one 0 which was part of the problem. You know why things weren't looking good because they were rushing and trying to put things right, like at the start yeah. of last season. But uh, may, I mean, maybe they'd have rushed more and created more chances on the break, and Palace still would have had breaks. And look, maybe they'd have one two one, but if that Jesus goal had accounted. It would have been a different game. And primarily because when that goal didn't count, I just thought City were gone then. The wind was the wind was out the sails. And I get it. It's the way VAR affects football now. Um, I mean, we were talking about this briefly after the game, weren't we? And it, it's bad examples because they were too late and too dramatic. But um, obviously the Sterling one in the Champions League. There was a few minutes left, weren't there? But it just killed City. Yeah. Like they couldn't attack with the same momentum. That was it. And I get it because it killed everyone. It was one of the most, in terms of purely sporting moments, one of the most most traumatic Deflating, sporting moments yeah. I've seen. Like, I, I'm sure I'm sure people are still haunted by it today. Um, and the Southampton one again, that was late, but I think I, I think there was still a couple of minutes to go. But it was like City aren't going to do that kind of attack again. They're just they're completely deflated. And I, but that was obviously the case for about twenty odd minutes um, against Palace, and 
I think if that's the case, not just in attack, but in defence as well, the counter-attacks are going to keep happening. And it was inevitable in the end that it was 2-0. Um, but as much as it was, you know, a worry that they hadn't scored again, and, you know, that brings up the, the striker debate, it's not a debate, really. Like, a striker would make the team better. Like, that's, that's as simple as it is. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll come to that shortly, but I do want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I do want to get to Grealish because um, yes, uh, we've had a question in. EJ David on Twitter said uh, Sam said in a tweet about Grealish. Name a winger who's hit the ground running under Pep. Um, I think it's fairly well known now that players minus Diaz and Walker maybe take a season under Pep to learn everything and get used to the style of play. So then, why is Jack starting so regularly? Is Pep throwing him in the deep end? Is it because he gets stick for a hundred million pound player being on the bench? Is it the formation or form of others? Um, so, I mean, you know why? It's because he's doing quite well. Yeah. That's what it is. And it's like, uh, so it's difficult with Sterling now because most people, and probably understandably so, can only really remember the last nine months or so. But in fact, less, because it's only just into November now. And he was still he was still quite threatening in those games against Liverpool and Spurs at the start of the year, like February, March time. Um, but obviously not as much as his, his great heights. But anyway, um, it, again, in 1920, and bloody hell, this, I know the question is going to come up, is it another 1920? But in 1920, when he stopped scoring, and in fact he was missing a load of sitters, I remember doing an article explaining why he was still in the team. And look, part of it was because there was no alternative on the left because Sane was injured that season and there was nobody else. You know, Foden at that point wasn't in the team regularly enough. And I don't think anyone was thinking of him as a left winger at that point. So he was the only one. But, like there was a lot of those games. I remember United in the League Cup, but the second leg when United won. Um, but the point in the article was Sterling was making all the right runs, constantly threatening. And again, I know people will be rolling their eyes because it's just like it seems like you either need to say someone's shit now or it's not good enough, or whatever. But like he was making the right runs. He was doing what Guardiola wants, and ultimately, it's what Guardiola wants. Um, and he was doing the defensive work. He was doing an insane amount of defensive work and you know contesting duels and battling people and and this wasn't just the united game but it's the only remember it's the only example i can remember and i did a big article saying like this is why he's still in the team this is why despite fan frustration this is why he's still getting picked and it's because he's doing so much of the stuff that pep wants and you think the contrast would have been sane the year before and i can't remember if if i make if i, I don't know if i'm making this up or if this is a fair comment but it's it's easy to imagine at least people were saying well sane was out of the team. You know, he had a couple of bad games and he was out of the team. But Sterling keeps playing. But the, obviously the difference with Sane is he wasn't really doing the 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 
the defensive side and the, yeah, the, gra- the, the working side, back yeah. side. And, and Sterling always, always, always does that and did that. And that was the thing. So when, so you know, we've we've had that contribution there where it's always oh, Grealish in the team because of, is he being thrown in the deep end? Is Pep's too stubborn for this, or does he not want to admit this? Or he's he's uh, he's doing a lot of things well. And then the other thing is, okay, people would want Foden to play there, and okay for the derby possibly, but this is at a time when Gundogan's been injured, so he can't play Gundogan or Bernardo, and De Bruyne was a false nine, or. You could play Gundogan and Bernardo and Foden as a false nine and leave De Bruyne out because he's struggling, which we'll talk about. But De Bru- so De Bruyne is struggling. Gundogan's not really been there. It's been one of the two. So then you've got Foden and it's like, well, we'll use Foden as a false nine then. And then, okay, we'll, we'll put Grealish on the left. So it's not like, and again, maybe this is this is the different thing. If City had a striker, it would be more obvious to just put the striker there and go, okay, well, we'll put Foden on the left and Grealish have to bide your time on the bench a bit. But there's more of an opening on that left-hand side than you think, really, because the false nine option isn't really there. And also, some people made the point um, with Grealish that there's there's no one there's there is no striker, is there? There's no one running in behind, um, and there's no there's no focal point for him to look for because it's just generally short passes. And you know, even if the false nine's offering an option there, it's it's going to be a short pass. Um, so he's he's not really got the option to. Um, play any kind of penetrative passes behind because City aren't playing on the transition. They've not got spaces to run into. And there's nobody gambling at the back post. And that's an adaptation. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's an adaptation. And it's again, it's like the Sterling problem of a couple of years ago. Quite often, he's got two or three men to beat. So what does he do? Okay, well, he'll give it back to Cancelo. And he's kind of done his job then. And Cancelo then has to do something with it. Um, And then, you know, you can't blame Cancelo because like I say, if everyone's in the box, he's got the ball in that space. And, can you shoot? Your route's blocked. Can you cross it? You can, but someone's going to edit it away. So where do you go? And then that's yeah. why the attacks end up looking a bit blunt because things haven't kind of got there quickly enough in the first place. And just one more thing on Grealish. Obviously, there's there's those kind of elements. I don't think I've really nailed down exactly what, I, what I'm thinking on it or what the issue is. But I mean, the main thing is just you just need to have perspective and you need to give people time because my tweet, I, I'm sorry, but that tweet is accurate. Nobody's been able to reply and give me an example of a winger who's been amazing straight off the bat. I think he's done pretty well. I think he's probably looked more at home in the team than most of the wingers, if probably all of them. And I think the, probably the best way to do this, and I'm not sure if it's even possible now, would be just to go back in time. And I'm sure there'll be loads of tweets <laughs> so, from sorry, people I, saying, I'm just giggling at the idea that you say it's not sure it's possible to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. A deserved mocking laugh there. But I mean, in terms of finding old tweets, like I'm sure, I'm sure there would have been people saying, "Who's this Sane guy? Who's this Bernardo Silva guy?" You know, everyone. Like Torres last season was exactly. Everyone can remember Torres last season. And the funny thing about Grealish scoring that great goal in the Champions League was, and people were getting really excited about it. Now, again, I'm defending him now, but at the time, I was still thinking, "Well, that is good." But Torres did that last year. And it seems like, for whatever reason, you, you might get a bit more space in the Champions League to do that. But what I really want to see him do is do it in the Premier League. So I get it. I get it. He, he does need to be doing more. But all this stuff about he was never worth 100 million. Well, I mean, I suppose that that is another question. But um, I, I think it's unfair to tie it in at the moment because we're not seeing the best of him for understandable reasons. But all this stuff about he's a waste of money, City didn't need him. And okay, I can see why people are thinking that now because... 
he's not added an awful lot on top. But this is what I mean. People need to have perspective. All of these wingers that have played before, and not just these wingers who have played before for Pep. For, like I remember Drogba. I always use this example because it's just one of the ones I can remember from growing up. But Drogba was shit in his first season for Chelsea. He looked awful. And I, uh, how, now Drogba's like an all-time Premier League legend now. One of the best African footballers, whatever, I was going to say in the Premier League, but ever. One of the best Premier League imports. Like and I've like people don't remember that first season now because of everything that's come since. But like you just need to have perspective. Like there's just no time in football anymore. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. It really is. Like, I, and I'm not just again. If I feel like I need to defend myself from from being positive, but it's not even being positive. It's just it's just realistic. Surely, like yeah. there are no examples. There are no examples of wingers under Pep at City who have done better. And it's a big pool. There's enough, and there's enough quality players there who have suddenly after a season looked amazing just on the point of didn't need him i understand why the argument's being made i don't agree i understand why the argument's being made but again if you think back to the summer they thought bernardo was going to leave and if you look at that the composition of that midfield if de bruyne and gundogan are firing okay if they were to lose that then you'd struggle a bit but if you accept the reality of Bernardo wanted to leave and they were going to let him leave, and that was a situation, City are fine with Gundogan and, and De Bruyne, so okay. And then if you add in Grealish, that's more of a cutting edge. And I will still say that Grealish has got more of a cutting edge than Bernardo. I think at the moment it looks pretty similar. They look like pretty similar types of players, don't they? Um in terms of basically just the short passes and they can glide past a man, but not no real particular cutting edge. But I do think that once Grealish settles in, there will be that cutting edge and there will be goals and there will be more assists and he will look more of a um, more, more, more of a dynamic threat. And I, yeah. I, I just think they were, they were kind of adding on different dimensions to the team. And it was a team that... Um, you know, it was it was a team that was very solid, very stable, and still scored more goals than everybody else. Still won the vast majority of games, but in that kind of more deliberate way, where they have less possession, but and they, there's more passes, um, and and that's how they did it last season. So they were thinking, okay, well, we need to add on to this, and I mean, look, whether they needed to spend hundred million pound on Grealish or not, like I think I've mentioned before, uh, Premier League clubs are thinking we're going to need more English players in the next few years because of Brexit. So I think there was that element to it. And look, you, you're telling me City's scouting department couldn't find even somebody from Europe for 50 million? I'm sure they could. But for whatever reason, they went, okay, well, this is the best option. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, in terms of adding on to the team and, and a cutting edge, they fucked up, but they thought they were getting Kane. Uh, well, at least Kane thought he was going to City, and that's what he kept telling them. So they took his confidence as as reality. And yeah. they they fucked up, but they thought they were getting Kane. So there's that element of that changes they, the dynamic as well at the front and, end. And of the it, it also changes how Greedish looks because yeah. City haven't really added that. So where they expected to be is kind of only I, I, I couldn't even speculate where they expected to be compared to where they are now. Um, but I think it's fair to say that with a striker they would be a, a different beast altogether, and then maybe Grealish would be as well. And yeah. it, it, it's well, it's that... all that. But the other thing is, people are like, why do we buy Grealish when we could have got um, Kane or a striker it, the two were not linked the two things were not linked like buying Grealish didn't suddenly mean oh shit we can't do Kane now they messed up with Kane because you know basically Spurs were never going to sell him 
Yeah, but Kane kept telling him it'll be fine. The, that all feeds into um, kind of my next point for the, for this weekend, Sam. Like, like City have had as many blanks this season as they did in the whole of last season when it comes to the goals mm. that they've scored. Um, Guardiola said, you know, we asked about strikers all. The, well, we, we we would ask about strikers again when City couldn't score, and then it's happened again, and it's now back to back blank games as well. Um, that's twice this season that they failed to score in successive games. In his entire tenure before this season, that's only ever happened once. So from August 2016 to 2021, they've only ever once gone back to back games without scoring. Hmm. We've talked already about whether you can tell. You know, sometimes City are not going to score. That was evident um, at, at the weekend. It felt it was one of those games where you just knew that City weren't going to score, um, and it was it, it was a little bit like nineteen twenty. But I want to take us on a a very wide diversion now because I've been reading um, I've been reading something about hidden factors. And uh, uh, stay with me, okay? This is about crayfish, marma crabs. Marma crabs um, are a, a species of crayfish that were discovered in 1995. They reproduce by cloning, parthenogenesis, and that it means that they're considered to be uh, a model species. You can you can look at them and, and know that um, that two offspring from the same parent are genetically identical. And so, what scientists did was they popped them in. They popped two offspring from the same parent into uh, two separate tanks in a in a laboratory, and kept them in pretty much the same area with the same conditions. And then we're looking at the whole nature versus nurture debate. And we know that their nature is the same. They are genetically identical to each other. So they kept every single factor that they could in their development exactly the same. They fed them the same food, the same amount of food. They kept the water temperature the same, the, the saline level in the in the water the same, even to the point of it being the same person feeding them every time. And yet, we got two very different marma crabs. We got one that was uh, really fat and greedy, and would would very quickly eat up all of its food, and would you know be be quite dominant in its in the environment for for more food. And the other one, which was quite submissive, it would end up it would leave food. It would it, it would not um, would not go after it. It would be quite submissive in the environment. And it suggested that there's this third element to to to, to creation and to to life that we don't really understand. So you've got nature, nurture, and something else that we don't know what it is. Potentially free will. And that brings me all back around to City because when you look at, at how City play, it's all one good having the system and it's all one good having the players, and they they they're the same kind of week on week, and City know what they need to do. But sometimes there is that third element, like at weekend, where we can't put our finger on what it is and we don't know what it is, but you just know that something isn't working. Does that make sense? Yeah, so what you're saying is no matter how much saline is in the water and how how regularly controlled the diet is, Riyad Mahrez is always going to cut inside onto yeah. his left foot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean. It's there's there's something that like like what Guardiola could set up in exactly the same way as he did at the weekend, exact against exactly the same Palace team in exactly the same conditions, and City go out and win five nil. Oh yeah, of course. Um, oh well, well, certainly in that extent, like yeah, like this is it. So as much as there are kind of recurring themes, and I think you're going to get recurring themes, good and bad, because. They're so well drilled and they're so like all this organization that leads to them being the best team around. If they were to abandon that altogether, they'd be worse off. So there's always going to be this base level 
of performance. And I think the base level is what we saw the other day or what we saw against Southampton, where they're not conceding goals left, right and centre. They're not really open. And I think that's better from 2019-20. Just in terms of that, I think there are similarities with that season in the sense that sometimes City are going to batter teams and then you turn up and you think, They'll win today, and then they just don't. And they chuck in a and performance, I, yeah. But but I, so it's difficult because I, I do see that similarity. But I also think City are much better. And to bring that back round to to the crabs and and everything else, and City setting up on the in the same in the same way in a different on a different day and winning. Like as much as there are those themes which we're going to get because that's just how they play and that's just how it is. You know, Grealish is always going to get the ball on the left. Has he got space to run into? Yes. Okay, might be a goal. Has he? Has he got space to run into? No. Okay, he's going to go back to Cancelo. Is he going to cross it? Yeah, it's going to get cleared. You know, that's just how they play. So it's going to look the same. But it was a mistake forced by a very good team. Um, th- and look, Laporte's got murdered for this. And now, okay, everyone's expecting Stones to come back in. And not, it's not, again, it's not just been, okay, well, Stones is coming back in now. It's been, get Laporte out of the team. He's shit. Stones has always been better. F- absolutely. Again, way over the top, way over the top. And probably, I don't know, probably from people who were probably saying the same about Stones last year. Um, I think I, so, I must, so I, I must element, uh, I've, I've got to dive in a little bit there because um, I I have I have been increasingly annoyed by Laporte in the last couple of weeks. And no, I, no, I get it. I, I, think, I, I do think he does need some time out of the team at this point. And the, the suspension yeah, will like bring say, Everyone knows Stones is going to come in now. Fine. But like... But this is the thing, right? And this is just fandom. But this, in this example, right? I know everyone's been saying De Bruyne has been off it, and people are asking if it's injuries. I would say, think about the long-term effects of how injuries can af- can affect footballers, and I don't mean the ankle one. So consider that. Um, but De Bruyne has not been playing to his level for a few weeks now. As everyone said, and again, I've seen plenty of De Bruyne slander since the weekend. So City fans are saying that. But as soon as Sky Sports dared to fucking venture an opinion last week that, well, the headline, can De Bruyne turn his form around? You had City fans going, oh, Sky Agenda, po- posting, you know, a rundown of his goals and assists over the last few games. And it's like, okay, I know there's this tribal element, but you are... If you're you're the rabid ones going after the media, you're also sometimes the rabid ones going after your own players. And like, if you dare to suggest somebody should perform slightly better during a period where people think that they're doing well, you know, if there's no complaints about somebody's form four weeks ago. Okay, for argument's sake, Cancelo was doing well a few weeks ago. Well, he's been doing well all season, to be fair. But I wasn't really having him. And I was always thinking, I'd still prefer Zinchenko in there. And, I've, and it, that was mainly based on the fact that you know, sometimes he does do some really brain dead passes. And I was think, and then I was thinking, maybe that's a bit harsh because maybe I'm overlooking other players who do that. And then I kind of got worn around by Cancelo, particularly in those three big games before the international break. But now people are criticizing him again and saying he should be out of the team. And it's like, if I'd have said Cancelo needs to be this or that three weeks ago, I'd have got pelters. But now all the City fans are saying it anyway. It's more acceptable. Uh, and I can't remember the point I was going to make, but it, it's <laughs> mad. It's mad that like, as soon as somebody in the media says one of the City players isn't playing well, it's it's a, like, it can be a pile-on from the City yeah. fans. But as soon as well, that, they accept that the, the City players aren't playing well, then 
it's it's a panel from the city players, from the city fans. It's not well, all let, of them, obviously. Let's and look again, at those three. Is, because yeah, well, um, yeah, okay. Because, what I was going to say before we do that is everyone's blaming Laporte and fine. It was bad um, for the um, for the goal. Like it was a bad pass under pressure, but he was under pressure from Gallagher, and also because he didn't have the ball into Rodri because he was being covered. So that was very good from Palace. But Diaz, no one's talked about Diaz. You don't have to dive in there. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. And he dives in a lot, and it works a lot. But he does dive in a lot. And this is again, this is what I'm saying because I've. Because I've mentioned Diaz diving in, probably I'm I'm now no better than a Van Dyke <laughs> fan who's made a fucking compilation of Diaz diving in, and I'm saying he's shit. I'm not saying he's shit, but I'm surprised. But well, this is the thing, isn't it? Somebody made that really funny video a couple of years ago of the Gordon Ramsay thing. You know when Gordon Ramsay's like bollocking adults and like really nice to kids, and they 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 had the bollocking bit when he was like Mares or Gundogan, yeah. Or I can't remember who else who else would have been negatively thought of at the time. But when like when it's De Bruyne or whatever, the fans are like, "Oh, okay, don't worry." And that's the exact <laughs> thing with Laporte and Diaz. Everyone hates Diaz for it, Laporte for it. I was going to um, say actually, uh, but one, Diaz uh, diving in, not I a mention, could, not I a mention. I completely forgotten about that actually because I remember thinking um, when uh, Palace went through was uh, Christ if, if if Diaz had made contact there, he'd be off because it was uh, off, denied, yeah. Yeah, denying a first scoring opportunity, and then Laporte goes and does it like forty minutes later. Um, yeah, I thought that was a red, by the way, as well. It was a red. I'm not. I'm, I'm not even going to argue about that. He's, well, he's, I know he's there's a lot of City fans who don't because they think because they think Cancelo was on the cover and. Uh, no, and, I don't think anybody uh, and was the Johnny Evans heart, one, so. but it's like, yeah, exactly. And he was kind of straight through. And people are going to mention the Johnny Evans one. It's like, well, maybe the Johnny Evans one was the wrong decision. Yeah, and, and Milner the other week, I, don't, I think that was a red card, and it wasn't given. That's not that's it, it doesn't because previous examples were wrong doesn't make that one right. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, we're so yeah, Laporte, Laporte, De Bruyne, and uh, Cancelo. Because I was after the game, I was I was quite critical of uh, <laughs> well, well, uh, I was quite critical of Laporte and Cancelo. I wasn't really of De Bruyne and it's funny it's funny that 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 you've kind of pointed out my hypocrisy there because you 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 are right I, I, in terms of of players that need some time out and need some need some rest I think we I think you know you said before it's a, it's established that Stones is going to come back in now and um possibly even for you know after Laporte's suspension Laporte then has to win his place back sort of thing um Cancelo you know Zinchenko came in was it West Ham and you know, yeah. didn't really set the world on fire, but he has been injured. De Bruyne, on the other hand, yeah. is 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 re- really looks like he's struggling at the moment, and and I just wonder, does timeout actually help him because he is coming back from his injury? Yeah, so it's a, a bit of a delicate one, and it's kind of a theory, but can't go into it too much. But basically, yeah, like there, there's some knock-on effect from injuries he's he suffered and and that kind of thing and you know people people have been asking in the Q&A even before the game you know does he need a rest and I was like I don't know if he needs a rest or if he needs to play his way through it do you know what I mean like to play off the rustiness um it seems like a rest is what's needed but it might be one of those where you know there's different medical opinions or whatever so that's interesting and because it just seems like the decision making is off doesn't it and he's not quite He's not quite the same player in terms of. Basically, it's his first. Do you remember when? Do you remember the derby in March? And he was awful for yeah. about 15, 20 minutes. It's, I'm not saying he's been that for two months, but it's more like that De Bruyne than the best one, isn't it? Yeah. It's more like, what was he trying there? Or that was way off it. And it's just not quite clicking at the moment. So I wasn't sure whether it was play him in to form or give him a rest. Um, 
you'd like to think Belgium would help with that during the international break, but they won't. And to be fair, why would they? Why, why would yeah. they? Why would they? I'm sure they're thinking, to be fair, they've got Estonia and Wales, so they probably won't. They, they don't exactly need him. But I'm sure they'd probably be thinking, I'm, it'd be nice for City to give him a rest for a couple of weeks so he comes and plays well for us. So yeah. that's how it works. But yeah, with De Bruyne, it's an interesting one that um, I would say there is there is context to it. Um, it just depends how quickly he takes to either snap out of it or recover or whatever yeah. and how that comes about. Um, and obviously with the derby coming up, it, it's an interesting question. Does he play? Um, I'd say probably not. If I'm picking the team now, based on the evidence of the weekend's game and how it went, I mean, look, maybe he'll score twice against Bruges. Or look, you don't need to score to be. De Bruyne doesn't need to score to to prove to us he's great. Maybe he clicks back into it against Bruges and suddenly looks better. But I think yeah. the context of knowing the 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 lasting effect or the the overhanging effect that the injury has had, um, then you look at it in a different way and you just think okay, maybe it's best if he doesn't play. And then you think, you can play Gundogan and Bernardo and Rodri in midfield with Foden as a false nine. And then I would still play Grealish on the left, but I know people probably don't want that to happen. And then you can play, I think Jesus will play on the right because he hasn't had much impact, has he? Um, Last few weeks, but he's been, in, I, yeah. That, that work rate and when, you know, when you're playing United and, you know, Shaw's not been in great form, but Guardiola will be thinking, well, Shaw can do this because that's how that's how all managers think about the other teams. They go, they think what the opposition can do, even if they're not necessarily not doing, doing it right now. Yeah. So well, Jesus working back, I'd be very surprised. Let's give the final word of the show, Sam, to the derby um, because I hadn't even thought about this until I sat down to, to think about what to talk to you about uh, today. Um and I mean, it's a it's a really really delicate balance. United all over the place right now should be really really easily beatable, and yet Solskjaer and City keep chucking in displays against his United side that just yeah, yeah, yeah. that that just don't work out. And you know, it's it, it's always been United in the last couple of years where City have not turned up, and United have sat back, played on the break, and scored a, a, a couple of goals, won the derby. So like like. It should be a really easy game. It should be. You look at what Liverpool did yeah. to them. It should be so easy. But yet we're sat here worrying what Solskjaer's going to do. And like we said last season, the man's—I mean, the man's an idiot, isn't he? <laughs> and uh, he keeps getting the better of Pep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, compar- like in comparative football terms. I mean, look, you can't. You, managers would have done a lot worse with United. Like you can't be a complete moron and get them second in the Premier League. Um, although Mourinho managed it, <laughs> uh, but um, but no, this isn't. I, I'm I'm wary that people are going to be thinking because I've said this before. People don't really care what you say now. They they try and work out why you're saying it, and people are going to think I love Solskjaer and I'm loyal to him. That's absolutely absolutely not the case. Um, but my point being, he's not a complete idiot because they wouldn't have done what they have done, which isn't a lot. But what they have done, they wouldn't have done it with a with a complete genuine moron. But they're never ever 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 going to win the league or be a league winning standard or City, Liverpool and current Chelsea standard with Solskjaer, they're not. Because compared to Guardiola and Klopp and Tuchel, then he probably is an idiot. In that, in that football genius spectrum, he's nowhere near it. He's fucking, yeah. he's nowhere near it. But yeah, um, you don't have to be to win a one-off game, do you? You need to know how to organise a defence and play on the break. But we said this last week um, after, obviously City had beaten Brighton and things were looking a lot rosier. Um, and obviously United had just been battered by Liverpool and we were thinking, oh, Solskjaer might get sacked. Um, but we said, like jokingly, oh, well, United will win the derby. But also Solskjaer said after the, the Liverpool game, 
oh, we had a duty to be open and to attack. So I was like, hold on a minute. You've never done that against City. And if you did, you'd get murdered. So it was weird that he didn't do that against Liverpool. But we know for a fact he's going to do that against, against City. There's no way he's going to be as open and as disjointed against City as they were against Liverpool. And if they were, it would be a murder. Um, so it is a worry for City because, like we said, like I said before, probably at too much length, there are certain patterns that City are going to do. They're going to get the, the ball to the same players and they're going to have the ball in the same areas. But if it's not quite at the right time and United are back in their shape and United have no reason to be stretched out, if City aren't catching United on a transition to stretch them out or they haven't just got some inspiration pass, maybe Cancelo does find the perfect pass and somebody finds the finish and then it's 1-0 and the game's different. If United keep compact and City don't score a goal out of nothing or you know, from a set piece or or get an early goal, Trouble. then it could it could be a very, very difficult game. You know, nobody's nobody would be surprised to see another United win, I don't think, in terms of City fans and whether that's the pessimism talking or the knowledge of how the last few games have gone. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Um but the other thing is, and I was thinking about this this morning, like it wouldn't be the ultimate test, obviously, but in terms of playing against a defensive team that can hit you on the break, and I guess now United played three at the back against Spurs, they may do it again, so it's going to be even harder for City. But for City just to turn up and say, okay, well, you're playing in this way that we hate, but we're going to win anyway, that would be a big statement because if they don't, then you might start getting that 2019-20 vibes and all of a sudden you've lost too many points. And the thing with Chelsea is, I'm sure they'll drop points eventually. Um, I can't. The thing with Chelsea is they don't look as inevitable as that Liverpool team did two years ago, but they're just so well organised and so yeah. difficult to break down. And they, they score the goals working, they need to yeah. score. When it's not working, they still grind it. And it's they're yeah. not going to lose many games, are they? Yeah. So that's that, the issue. You know, if City were to drop points and Chelsea were to beat fucking whoever they've got, I imagine they've got somebody shite because that's the, that's who their fixtures seem to be at the moment. They've had a, they've had a good run there, but like. They manage those games very well. And I suppose you have to say they manage those games better than, than City had, considering the drop points against Southampton and Palace. But um, yeah, that's that's the difficulty. But I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with the with the derby. I'm sure things will look a lot more different after the Champions League games. Because again, I'm sure United, I wouldn't be surprised if United lost to Atalanta. Obviously, wouldn't be surprised if City beat Bruges. But um, that wouldn't change things too much in terms of how the game on, on Saturday is going to go. Because I'm sure United will... You know, if United were to lose... They'd be even more inclined to sit in and and um, frustrate City, which is what happened last season, wasn't it? And everyone was yeah. saying City should go for the the jugular because United were wounded. They'd just gone out of the Champions League, but obviously because City weren't playing particularly brilliantly then, they didn't have the confidence to do so. But also United had no onus whatsoever to attack because they just they were in survival mode. And yeah, that that deep lying compact defense is. It's not a friend of City, is it? Um, nope. So it will be very interesting to see how they do it. Um, I suppose, the, yeah, the only other thing I want to mention is Edison. Because a load of people are saying he sh- you know, should be doing this better with some of these shots. And I was really pissed off with him for the penalty against Brighton because he was doing really well and then he was just so brain dead. But I think most people's complaint with him is the shots that seem to go through him. Um, I've, there's been a few examples over the years. I've seen some people saying, get Stefan in. But basically my point is City can do no better than Edison. 
Yeah, Edison. The the right. I, the first the Forget first goal it. at weekend. I thought he could have done a little bit better. Could have moved his feet a bit better. Got down to it, but it was a scuffed shot that went across him. He can't have been anticipating that. Yeah, I think he was going the, to the right yeah. because he was probably thinking Zaha's going to shoot near post. Yeah, and I think if, and he if, scuffed I, it back across him. Yeah, I think if Zaha hits that better across him, I think Edison probably deals with it better as well. Um, but it's, it's there's there's more mistakes in that goal than Edison's. I'm not going to lie. That's the that, that's that's yeah. where that's where my thinking is with it. Some lad in front of us, and again, this is just an example of picking people that you shouldn't necessarily listen to. But some lad in front of us in the press box of the day she went fuck off, Edison, when Gallagher scored the second. So he went in off the post <laughs> from about twelve yards. In fact, I think it was probably even closer. And what do you want him to do? Um, it just shows how narratives can build. But my my point with Edison is, is especially where Stefan's concerned, like okay. Giving away a goal, especially in a defeat, is quite a, a big blot on the copybook. It's quite a difficult thing to, for me to sit here and argue and say, okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Because if you're being seen to cost a team points, then it's difficult to say, well, there's other benefit. But like, he is the fabric of that City team. Like, uh, Guardiola says it quite a lot, and it's hard to know if it's hyperbole or not. I think he's definitely said it about Fernandinho. I think I remember him saying it about Otamendi, but maybe it was a certain point of the season with Otamendi. But how many times has Guardiola said, without him, what we have done has not been possible? Yeah. That is 100% true about Edison. Like, everything, like, even if he gives away soft goals now and again, it is a net positive having him in the team because he is the very fabric of how they play. Like, if they're... If they're under even a little bit of pressure, not so much like the other day in the situation where they're coming out from the back and building towards goal, but let's say the ball's kind of bobbling around on halfway and it's a, a 50-50, if they can just knock it back to Edison under a bit of pressure and they just they, they know they can start again. And look, most teams can because if it goes back to the goalkeeper, they're not going to be pressed. But teams will not press Edison, whereas they might press other goalkeepers because they just don't bother because what's the point? And they know... Like the Diaz one, where Diaz gave it him on the line at Anfield. They know they can play out. And the City's whole game plan at Anfield was to play through that pressure, not kick the ball out, especially in that first 15, 20 minutes. Because every time the ball went out for a throw-in, the ball boys got it back. And Liverpool got it back in straight away. And the Liverpool crowd, it's like it's all in sync. It's its like, they were like, oh, come on, we're going again. Yeah, like, It's on the back. And that's why people always say, You've got to ride out the first 15, 20 minutes at Anfield because it's just so relentless. So City's whole game plan there, and this is an extreme example, granted, but it was to, to play through that pressure. And obviously, the more they did it, the more comfortable they looked and the less comfortable Liverpool looked. And obviously, City should have taken the chances and, I say, win the game before Liverpool scored their goals. And that's how they do it. And it all comes from Edison. And OK, you could maybe put in a goalkeeper who's a bit... No, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can't. So, Stefan is a very good goalkeeper, but he's not Edison. And how many goalkeepers are? Ter Stegen and Allison? Well, you're not signing them. And okay, maybe they could sign another guy, because I didn't know who Edison was before they signed him. And I know a few City fans were saying, we should be signing this guy. And I was like, City aren't going to sign a goalkeeper from Benfica for 30 years. What are you talking about? And obviously they did, and he was perfect. So look, maybe maybe they can go and sign somebody like that. Maybe I don't, I don't see enough European football these days to know. But I'm convinced... You're not you're not getting better than Edison. Whether it's calling up Stefan or whoever from the youth team next season, Slicker or whatever. And, and to be fair, Slicker does play out from the back, and in the same way because all the you know the academy, all the positions come through in the same way. But you're not getting better than Edison, and he might cost you a goal every now and again. But what he gives you in terms of playing out from the back is just invaluable and it's yeah. not like an Otamendi thing where when I was looking at the weekend about players roles and Otamendi 
always carried the ball. He always brought the ball up the pitch. And he obviously served that function in the team. I would never say that Otamendi was one of City's most important players. He was for a spell because he was, he was in a very good spell. But when that went and, you know, he was diving in again and, and being exposed and all that, you would never say that overall he probably brought more to the team. But they, he did fulfill that function at least. Whereas with Edison, I wouldn't say, okay, well, he's good on the ball, but that's just one part of it and everything else is bad. I would say it's a net positive with Edison, overwhelmingly so. And okay, it's harder to say that when you just lost to Palace and he might have been in your in somebody's eyes, in the listener's eyes, at fault for it. But it doesn't matter. Everything yeah. else he does is spot on and City couldn't play the same way without him. And yeah. especially in those well, big games. It, it's just, it, uh, again, again, maybe this is my bias and maybe if it was somebody I didn't, like warm to on a personal level, then I'd be saying something different. But I, I, I think I, I do think he's brilliant, and I, I always try to be fair. I yeah. always do try to be fair. I don't well, at least that. made that joke about Mares, but I don't think Mares is biggest fans who are gonna um, overreact to listening to this podcast. So I think I'm alright with that one. Well, at least Edison's never thrown in a stinker at Old Trafford. That's uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's where oh, we're no, going Jesus. now. But that brings us to the end of this week's Why Always Us. Thanks as ever to Sam Lee. Uh, that was a hell of a ride. But yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, join us again next week. In the meantime, don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.